0: Okay, if you would, please turn to the book of First Peter. I'll be reading First Peter chapter three, verses 1-6. one through six. First Peter three: one through six. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word, For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Father, help us again. See your purposes in creating us as male or female. Let us see the radical God-centeredness in all that You do and how You are restoring us through Jesus Christ to the glory of His name. Amen. This is week two in at least three weeks. Series on male-female, husband-wife, roles in marriage. So these are all meant to be heard together. So if you hadn't heard last week, just ask somebody there's a way to get a hold of that. Because all of that now is assumed as we come into this week. What we did last week is we mainly looked at the text. What did these first Six verses in 1 Peter 3 say, we saw in verses 1 to 2, there's the exhortation, wives, be in submission to your husbands. Verses 3 and 4, he unfolds the essence of submission. That it's, it's the inward person of the heart. This beautiful thing of a gentle and quiet, not warring spirit and then in verses 5 and 6 he gave sarah as an example of an old testament holy woman who adorned herself with that inner quality and showed itself in submitting to her husband that's where we were last week so it's there it's recorded you can get it now to be biblically faithful on this topic, will put us outside of the realm of mainstream culture today. Just the way it is. To affirm the differences between men and women in their nature and the way God made them, and thus their roles in marriage, will has and it will continue to cause friction, argument, and heat. Not merely in the culture, but within the church world. But but I hope that week after week, as, as a church that really believes in the exposition of Scripture, and here we go, we hit the next text, are we going to deal with it straightforwardly or not? That we be a people who don't want to bend the Bible to fit the prevailing doctrines of our society, but that we want to come under it, be submitted to the authority of Scripture as it thus continually causes us not to be conformed to this present world. And so, this morning, in part two, what I want to do, you say, okay, what we saw last week, here is what Peter says in his text. This morning, I just basically want to do this. Show us, Peter was not speaking out of the blue. Like, where did this come from? He wasn't saying what he says in verses 1 to 6 about roles in marriage in a vacuum. But you just go back to the very beginning of the Bible, and boom, it's there right off the bat in God's Word. And that's what we're going to go today. We take the big view of this topic and ask at the end, what is it really all about? Okay. So, as you open up the book of Genesis, if you're doing that, the first thing the Bible tells us about human beings is that we are created in the image of God. As male and female. Genesis 1.27 So God created man in His own image. In the image of God He created him. Male and female He created them. Men are not women. And women are not men. They are distinct. And from the get-go, it is crystal clear that men are not superior to women. And women are not inferior or less than men. Both have been created in the image of God. Both have absolute equal value and importance to God. But, it is also crystal clear that these two sexes, male and female, have been created to fill different roles. The distinction in the sexes and the roles in marriage is before the fall of man. It is before sin entered into the human experience and messed around with all of that. And what I want to do then is just go through some steps and try to unfold this and see if we see this reality in Scripture. So, in Genesis, as, as we read the account, and as we read Genesis, it, it, it's narrative. It's, it's unfolding in story, historical happenings but when Genesis does that it is historical narrative or stories with a purpose to teach it's what it's doing and so the first thing we see in this distinction of the leadership of the man in the union of the covenant of marriage over responsibility for the woman is seen first in the order of God Creating and His purpose to reveal it that way. Man was created first, then the woman out of the man. In chapter 2 of Genesis, verse 7, Then the Lord God formed the man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. And jump down to verse 18. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. This order of creation is making a point. It is setting a biblical precedent. This becomes really clear when a few thousand years after Moses, the Apostle Paul, almost a couple thousand years, the Apostle Paul, by the Holy Spirit, in teaching about the distinction. Of roles of men and women refers to the Genesis account in First Timothy chapter 2:13, and says, "For Adam was formed first and then Eve." Paul sees it. He makes this point the order of creation. Secondly, you add to that that the Bible makes it very clear that it was the man. It was Adam who had the responsibility of headship of the woman, which is clear because he had the responsibility, not the woman, of the headship of humanity. He represented us. And thus we have all fallen in Him. Listen to how Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 21 to 22. For as by a man came death... Now let's stop. You read Genesis... Satan came to the woman. She ate first. She sinned. First. But the text says, For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. And... Romans 5 makes this same point crystal clear. Because the man represented the human race because of his particular leadership, responsibility over Eve. And it wasn't Eve in whom we have all fallen. Thirdly, the original readers, when God gives all of this to Moses, they would have read this reality that Adam... Named Eve to them, maybe not to our culture. It would have just, it's implicit. He has responsibility, authority over the woman whom He is naming is woman. Fourth, the leadership role is seen in the purpose that God gives us for creating Eve. Chapter 2, verse 18 of Genesis. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. That fit for him means a helper corresponding to him. And you know that comes after creating the animals. How about this, Adam? God was not wondering whether an animal would have been the helper fit for him. Okay? That's not what the Count's saying. It's making it clear though, an animal is not going to do it for this man created in God's image. And another male human being would not have done it. That's the point. A woman, out of him, who is created in God's image, fulfills God's purpose of the male and the female. She fits. Now, look. Yes, we'll do it, okay? Yes, physically. It complements the external bodies. But that's not all the difference. Her nature... Without a body, it's different, but complementary to Him, the male. Fifth, the headship role of the man is clearly demonstrated in Genesis 3, where after the serpent what bypasses The leader bypasses Adam, bypasses the man. He goes to the woman. She listens. She's deceived. She sins. And then what does God do? He goes first to the man who is ultimately responsible for all of that. And He says, Adam, Where are you? I wonder, people hear the topic of submission and leadership, and they've been so abused in the history of the church in different forms. The burden that we men are supposed to feel how often do we hear those words right now in our marriages? Where are you? He went to the man who was responsible. And I think there is a message that God intended there. He went to the woman. He went to the wife. He didn't go to the one who had the responsibility. Satan was already confusing the roles by trying to make the woman the moral leader and arbiter of that union. And it was backwards. And he's screwed it up ever since. He is thrilled throughout the ages to abuse masculinity and cause the man to beat With his mouth or his fist, his wife. And he has caused the woman to usurp authority or to lay down and to manipulate with her femininity. He is constantly thrilled to see these roles messed up. There's an old saying in the 1960's and it is straight from the garden through the snake. (laughs) A woman needs a man Like a fish needs a bicycle. Think about it. In Genesis 3.17, God says to Adam, now this is judgment. This is what this is. Now he's before the court of God. The fall has happened. Adam because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Okay, now this point in Genesis, let's make it clear: sin, the fall of mankind, did not create the marriage roles. God did. But sin has messed them up. And ever since there has been conflict between the man and the woman and in their marital roles, sin in the heart of every male and every female makes living out these roles really difficult. In verse 16 of Genesis 3, God speaks to Eve. And this is his pronouncing of judgment. When he says, Your desire shall be for your husband. And he shall rule over you. Or, your desire shall be, if you look at your footnote, because it could mean, against your husband. What does that mean? Your desire will be for him or or against him. Okay. Notice just a few sentences later, he uses the same Hebrew word that is translated desire in chapter four, verse seven, when God is speaking to Cain. Okay, now hear it. He says, "Cain, sin is crouching at your door." Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Okay. See, in both contexts, the word "desire" its its meaning the desire to conquer, to rule over. So, let me just read both of those passages again, paraphrase, bringing out that meaning. Hear it, Cain. Sin's desire is for you, meaning sin desires to rule you, to to conquer you, but you must rule over it. Eve, your desire shall be for your husband. That is, your desire will be to rule him, to subjugate him, to dominate him, but he will rule over you see the desire here on this judgment is not sexual desire it is the desire to dominate him just as sin has the desire to dominate Cain and succeeded See, this, what's going on with the fall and the judgment and the relationship between the man and the woman, the husband and the wife, is a description of the way things will be while sin rules and dominates. And so what we see is God created humanity, male and female. And by the sin nature, those roles which are designed by God in marriage, they get distorted, messed up, and it's been a horrible mess ever since. Now, hopefully we see that on the pages of Scripture so far. But if you're not right there yet, here's another place to see it. Look in the mirror of your own life. And we can all see our maleness distorted or our femaleness distorted. It's there. Let me just give a few examples of how the difference between men and women, the way God created us as different, how sin has come in and caused such horrible, abuses for instance the man in his leadership role in his masculinity can be sinfully aggressive dominating controlling all for the purpose of self it's called selfishness he can be unloving in his responsibility to lead and become, as the history of the world has shown, a dominating tyrant. started right there in the garden. Where are you, Adam? What have you done? It was the woman you, you gave to me. It was you, Adam. You stood there. No, it's the woman. And thus... Let domestic abuse begin. On the other hand, a woman could be aggressive, like we see in the judgment there in chapter 3 of Genesis, against the headship, the leadership of her husband but think about it i'm just that reality is the curse it's the judgment of god in genesis 3:16 here's the thing why it's such a crucial issue not a real peripheral issue in the life of the church we don't want to advocate the judgment of god are you following me here yet if Give me a nod. Anybody? Okay, let me, do I, I'll go back through it again. I have argued that the desire for the feminine, beautiful thing God created, to dominate the masculine, the male, the man, is the judgment of God. And if that's true, as a church, as the church of Jesus Christ, we do not want to say, I see that reality that sin created, therefore let's advocate it. No. Okay, we clear? Alright. We don't want to advocate that natural desire in many women any more than we want to advocate. Look at the beauty of the pain of childbirth. Let's not do anything to prevent that. That's a judgment of God. Or, or look at the beauty of all the weeds we've got to deal with in our crops. Don't pull them. Don't kill them. That's a judgment. We're called to do that. It's broken! Okay, therefore, I grant that there are weeds that we call natural. But what we mean by natural is since the fall. I grant that there is excruciating pain in childbirth. But what we mean by excruciating pain in childbirth as being natural is we mean since and because of the fall. And I grant that there are many women for who knows how many myriad reasons who desire to conquer their spouse. They desire to rule over and to dominate him. But that's no excuse to advocate that behavior. Sin can also produce not just aggression, but the opposite in the man. Instead of being aggressive, it becomes passive. He, he abdicates his leadership role in the disciplining of his children or in the physical and the spiritual provision of his family or in the nurturing and caring for his wife like he would his own body when it gets hit. We want to take the pain away. Heal it. This is the, the analogy Paul gives us in Ephesians. When we abdicate that, we are not living out our masculinity. We're being passive, not taking ultimate responsibility for the decisions of the family. There is no excuse for us. But she was too persuasive, right? And you finally made a decision, and if it was a wrong one, it's your fault. The sin of passivity can also infiltrate the woman. True femininity, what we have seen last week in Peter, does not mean submission makes a woman a doormat to be trampled over. This is not what the Bible is telling us. Passivity in a woman would be just a pullback and I have no counsel here. I have no input. I'm not even going to open my mouth. It's not true womanhood. True womanhood is strong. It's wise. It's intuitive. Tr- true womanhood. Now, here's the key about our text Women with a gentle and a quiet, a feminine, not a masculine, a feminine disposition, you should object when your husband sins against you. And God forbid, if he beats you, you should object. If he verbally abuses you, you should object. Peter's not saying anything against this. He's saying, to hope in God, you are in submission. And honey, that's wrong. I'll pray for you. I hope I can help you in this, but you ought not treat me that way. Okay. God created these roles. He created two sexes. And it's all screwed up because of the fall. And the Lord Jesus came to save persons, male and female persons. He came to put away divine judgment, guilt against male and female persons. And are you one? If you are, he's come to you by the Holy Spirit, and regenerated your heart to come alive to the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And as we have seen throughout the letter of 1 Peter, that has caused you to be justified once for all and has put you in this process now called sanctification or restoration. Remember the sentence right before wives submit? Christ came in order that we would be those who by dying to sin are living to righteousness. The road, the about faceness that conversion does is puts us on the road to dying to the sinful aggression or passivity in our roles of leadership or of submission. As the Apostle Paul says in Colossians 3, verses 18-19, and 19, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. It's fitting. He's restoring this. Husbands, love your wives. And do not be harsh with him. He's restoring the brokenness through the cross. He didn't come to do away with maleness and femaleness. He didn't come away, I mean, he didn't come to do away with the roles of leadership in marriage of the man, in submission of the woman, He came to restore him. This is the undoing. Never perfectly here. Ever. Neither is any part of sanctification. But it is the undoing of the curse that gets reflected in marriage. Okay. Now here's the big question. What is God doing? Why did God create this way? Now, if you've been in this church long enough, and hopefully you see it's because it's all over the Bible, you'll hear a statement that's just so central to Scripture that God created and He does all things for His glory. So, don't miss this. God created us as male and female for His glory. He created us as male and female to fit, if you're married, those marriage roles for His glory. In other words, behind the Genesis account of the creation of humanity is male and female. Behind that was a mystery. It it was the mystery that marriage was a picture of the relationship between Jesus Christ and the church. I want you to turn and see this written explicitly in Ephesians chapter 5. In Ephesians chapter 5, beginning with verse 22, the Apostle Paul writes Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, His body, and is Himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ is He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh. But he nourishes it and he cherishes it. Just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of His body. And now now Paul, he quotes the command from Genesis given by God. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. End quote. Now, hear him. This mystery is profound. And I am saying that Genesis here, husband-wife. Refers to Christ and the church. The Apostle Paul, by the Holy Spirit, is saying that from the beginning, God designed marriage in order to show how Jesus relates to the church, his bride. Marriage isn't first. And then God had a good idea. Oh, I could use that as an analogy. Paul is saying the exact opposite. He's saying God created the way He did because Christ was as a lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Before God brought anything into existence, He purposed the church as a bride for His Son. And thus He's going to create everything the way He does. And He's going to create marriage roles the way He does in order to placard this, paint this, show this. Paul calls Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, a mystery because all of what we just saw there in Paul, and I just said, was not at all clearly revealed as you read Genesis. That's what a mystery means in the New Testament. Paul uses it numbers of times. You get hints of it. There there were hints throughout the Old Testament. There were pointers to it. And Paul uses the word mystery here and concerning other stuff. The mystery is unfolded now since Christ has come. It was there. It was there, kind of fuzzy. Christ comes and it's what was hidden is now revealed. Gentiles can be saved. It was there all along, Paul says. And now the mystery is clearly revealed in the coming of Christ. God created a man, he created a woman to come together in the covenant of marriage. And there is an authority, a leadership role of love, care, nurture, responsibility, and a submissive... Godly role, and he did it because they are to picture the center of everything Christ in relationship to his church. So get it the creation of human beings as male and female. Provide, therefore, the necessary building blocks for the meaning and the essence of true marriage. You cannot have the covenant of marriage without a male and a female. Proposition 8, a year and a half ago, in that same issue, which will stay with us in our culture, is no small matter to the church now that's not the final step you, to have it you have to have male, you have to have female but even when you have that, the meaning of marriage cannot be, be known or its essence in any of its fullness until we understand that marriage is a parable of the relationship between Christ and the church and that's why Paul writes in verse 23 for the husband is the head of the wife even as Christ is the head of the church and this means that the relationship between Christ and the church and the roles In marriage of male-female, leadership submission are not merely cultural or relative. Those roles, biblically, are not reversible. There is a leadership, headship role that Jesus has to the church and that the church does not have towards Jesus. And in order to picture that, God created, in order to show, the headship role of Christ, He created a male. And in order to show, the happy submission of the church, He created the female. A lot is at stake in this issue. I just want to turn to just one more verse. 1 Corinthians, chapter 11, verse 3. The Apostle Paul writes I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. The head of a wife is her husband. And the head of Christ is God. Uh, okay. That Greek word, "kaphale," head, it means one in a position of authority, responsibility. Husband is the head of his wife. Now, don't miss it. God the Father is the head of Christ. Now this is where get it. Men get it. Women get it. Just as God the Father and God the son have absolute equality in their being in their nature their divine eternal omnipotent omniscient being absolute equality in all of their absolutes there is only one god yet the father and Christ have different roles. And so also the husband and the wife absolute equality in the nature of humanity in the image of God but different roles. Just as Christ is eternally subject to is in submission to the Father. So wives during their marriage on this earth are to be in submission to their husbands. It's God's design, and those who say—and I got stacks of books in my books of Christian people in my study who do say this—those who say that the roles in marriage of leadership or authority and submission, they are arbitrarily created by the old abusive patriarchal systems, have no biblical ground to stand on. So, as I close part two, let me just start with all of us and then back to our text directly to women. To help. We're broken. The text in Genesis, we didn't read it yet, this is the way God did it. Created Adam, creative Eve, purposefully, authority, submission, male, female, and it was very good and then sin messed it up and now we're Christians and we read this men are to lead Just women feel for your man and pray for him it is burdensome to the extent we take it seriously as men we are to lead this is impossible (laughs) but this is where we're to go this is biblical leadership here. Okay? Here it is. Not all the abusive stuff that has happened within Christianity in the name of what I'm preaching on. Love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave His life for it. That's what the Bible's talking about. About the headship of the husband. Women are called to this glorious thing of a submissive disposition. Okay, if you feel like me, help. It's where we go back to our text as we close. Hope in God. Your help is in horizontal. And we're going to talk more about this next week. (laughs) Not all marriages are created equal. Your hope in the text is vertical. If someone says now from our text in 1 Peter, well, I don't care about the root cause of her submission, she has to submit. That's not the text. That does not get at the core of what the Apostle Peter is telling you, women. He's after the essence of true femininity. In responding in submission to her husband in marriage, as quote hear it now, hear it, ladies, be encouraged. As the hidden person of the heart, with the imperishable beauty of a gentle in a quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Okay, now where does that come from? Answer is verse five. "For this is how the holy women, who hoped in God, used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husband, till that's not a throwaway line. Where does the power come to you, sinful creatures, women? Hope in Christ. Trust in Christ. The flow of our text is hope vertically in your relationship with Christ no matter how horrible your husband may be or how great he may be. Hope in Christ. Is the source of clothing yourself every day with an inner, beautiful, God pleasing disposition of gentleness and not a non-nagging warringness. You, like we said before, you may be wiser, smarter, more competent. Don't doubt it. That's not the issue. This is beautiful. Your hope is And God is the source for adorning which three produces in that text. The submission. That's the flow. And so women know that what we're reading here in 1 Peter is not, say that three times, not. It is not first and foremost about your marriage. It is first and foremost about Christ. It is first and foremost about the gospel working itself out in your sanctification. And if you're a woman, it's your femininity, single or married. If you're a man, it's your masculinity, single or married. Holy women, hope in God, and that yields the gentle and the quiet disposition, which is beautiful to people and precious to God. And that femininity expresses itself, not in weakness, great strength. It expresses itself in submission. And we'll come back for at least part three next week. Father, may You grace us men and with the text we're dealing with now, oh, abundantly show the beauty of Your Word and Your purposes to these women, single or married. Cause the sanctifying work of the Spirit to restore the differing areas in all of us that are broken in our masculinity or femininity. And as we wake up every day feeling like we failed, cause us to constantly go to the source, your throne of grace, hope in the Gospel, hope in your promises, and in the present ongoing power Of your Holy Spirit. To the glory of the parable. That pictures the love of Jesus. For his bride. And it pictures us. Happy. Saved people. As the church in submission to him. Amen.